0: So those of you who did not receive a worksheet, have you gotten it yet? If not, raise your hands and the ushers will get them to you. The rest of you may turn in your Bibles in the meantime to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where we'll pick up where we left off while we're taking care of these housekeeping details. Uh, Those of you who were not here last night or who forgot to sign up as an intercessor from now till the end of July and would like to, on the DNI table, there's a little card like this that says DNI information intercession card. You can pick that up and sign there if you would like to pray either half an hour a week or daily with the prayer requests that are sent to you month by month. <clears throat> and then I'd like to read to you two uh, verses of song from the one on the page that was facing the one we sang. And by the way, those songs that you chose were very appropriate for this occasion. Let's see, where's the uh, usher? I mean, the song leader. Sorry, where are you, song leader? There you are. Very nicely done. But listen to these words. I love to tell the story. 'Tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story, for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when, in scenes of glory, I sing the new, new song, it be the old, old story that I have loved so long. Together, I love to tell the story It will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. The other day I was meditating on a a well-known verse that says, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be... My witnesses, <clears throat> first in Jerusalem, right where you are, and then in Judea, the surrounding towns and villages and county, and in Samaria, those who have a somewhat different culture from you, and maybe are seen to be a little bit beneath you, <clears throat> and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, those who are very different from you. But think of that word witness. Have any of you uh, been present at a court hearing? I won't ask why you were there. Okay, They call forth the witnesses, right? <clears throat> what are witnesses supposed to do? I'll give you a clue. They talk, right? Have you ever seen a witness that stands up there and just asks everybody to watch him or her and figure it out? No, witnesses talk. Hello, that's real smart, right? But Jesus said, you shall be my, say it. And witnesses do what? They, they talk about what they have seen and heard. Not the wise and the presuming and the assumption. I think he did that because his wife cursed him out in the morning on the way out. No. What did you see? What did you hear? Jesus said, you shall be my, say it, witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Uh, A non-witnessing Christian is is a, oxymoron, like velvet steel. It just, it doesn't compute. So I'll tell you a little secret. The more you appreciate the gospel, the more you'll tell it. The more you see what he has done for you, the more you talk to other people. The better the news is, the more you want to talk about it. It's just that way. Now, you could ask the question though, how can a door be opened so that we can present the gospel to people? Usually lost people will not ask us to share the gospel with them. So if you're just waiting until somebody asks you, usually lost people don't ask. There's a community, if you can call it such, of about 10,000 people uh, two blocks from us. Every time I've walked through that community, not one of those 10,000 people has ever asked me a question. They're all neatly laid in rows, military cemetery. They're all dead. Dead people don't ask questions. Many times, most times. At least physically dead people don't ask. And spiritually dead people many times don't ask either. Some of them, for the same reason that men don't ask directions when they're lost. They think they know the way out of it. Okay, so you don't get that one because we have GPSs now. The women get it. <clears throat> All right. Some people don't, uh, no, don't ask because they don't know they're lost, and they don't ask for something that they don't know exists. Some people don't know. They're, they won't ask because they're like the little boy that stole money uh, and, or, or candy from the candy store, and he was lost, couldn't find his way home. He saw a policeman, but he didn't ask the policeman how to find his way home because he's a thief. Some people don't ask because of that reason. So then how can we? And then add to that the fact that as witnesses we feel so unworthy many times. Maybe most times. Maybe all the time. And we forget that our weakness and our unworthiness and our failures they're not what people are interested in anyway. That's not the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus. So Looking again in 1 Corinthians 15, let's pick up where we left off in the previous session. verse. We'll start with verse 8. Paul talking about himself, he says, "'Then last of all, he, Christ, was seen by me also, "'as by one born out of due time. "'For I am the least of the apostles, "'who am not worthy to be called an apostle, "'because I persecuted the church of God.'" but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead and so forth. We'll stop there. So there are two things that I want us to look at before we go to the handout. The first one is, Something about the person who shares the gospel, drawing from Paul's experience. And then, second, the resources that we have for sharing the gospel. And then finally, we'll get to some practical suggestions for sharing the gospel. First, the person who shares the gospel in verses eight and nine. <clears throat> what does Paul say about himself? When we first went to Central America, I had this idea of Paul. Charge forward. Nothing stops you. Courageous, bold, got it together. Until I read a little farther in my Bible that Paul didn't feel that way at all. Look how he saw himself. Verse 8, last of all he was seen by me. He saw himself as being the last of those people that saw the risen Christ. Last. And then further he said, as by one born out of due time, late. He says, I came along late. Do you know what late is? Well, here's a picture to describe late. I'm the oldest of seven children. Every Sunday, we had the gift of getting there about five or ten minutes late. I hated it. All nine of us straggling in and people going like this. Now, somewhat in defense of us, we were the last ones to leave church too. In fact, one time we were so last that when we got home we discovered that we left one of the children behind, sleeping on the church bench. We were late. Paul says, I was late. I was born out of due time. I don't deserve this. He, this is the guy who is sharing the gospel. A little bit more, verse 9, he says, I am the least. I'm the least of the apostles. Why did he feel that he was the least well, because he was so unworthy. Look, he says, I persecuted the church. He killed. He ordered people to their death, to prison, <clears throat> men and women. You've got to be hard to do that to women. And hearing them cry and, and groan and weep, he says, I am so unworthy. I am the least. I am unworthy. He couldn't forget his past. And that's one of the things about living in sin. Those memories trail after you a very long time. And sometimes it's hard to get past them. There are ways to get past them, but it's not easy. But not only was he least, listen to this. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints was this grace given that I should announce the gospel to the Gentiles. Not only was he least, he said, I'm less than the least. How can you be less than the least if you're least? (laughs) You're as low as you can go, and then you go lower still. That's what he felt about himself. Not only that, listen to this, of what he said about himself. By the way, that passage, if you're taking notes, was Ephesians 3.8. This one he says, and I thank God, Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent or violent, arrogant man. But I obtained mercy also because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am what chief I am chief but I did, he did this so that there would be an example for all of the believers of what can do God can do with a man like that chief of sinners but not only that in 1 Corinthians 5 Paul said when I came to you I didn't come to you with excellency of speech but I came with fear and with weakness and with trembling no that's not what it says with much trembling you could have seen his knees or his hands like this well if you'd be rocked a few times and left for dead don't you think you'd tremble a little bit when you share, try to share the gospel you're wondering am I going to get the rods on my back again He said, but this happened so that you would put your faith not in men, but in God. God loves to use weak, nervous, unassuming people. In one place, he says, people tell me that his letters are powerful, but in presence. He's very unassuming. He's a nobody. Maybe he was short, like me, because Paul means short or little. So he didn't have this... Huge presence in El Nora. I've become uh, acquainted with the town marshal. <clears throat> He's huge. I don't even come up to his shoulder. I asked him one time, <clears throat> Mr. Fleming, how tall are you? Six foot eight. Well, that means he has to duck every time he goes through the door. I said, Pardon the question, Mr. Fleming, how much do you weigh? He says, 300 some pounds, spring steel. <laughs> Now, that that, is not unassuming. (laughs) He has presence. But Paul says, I didn't have presence. He says, that's so that your faith would be in God and not in us. So if you're weak, if you get nervous when you think about sharing the gospel, you're in very good company along with Apostle Paul. Why? Because the power is in the gospel. It's not in you, and it's not in me. It is not in us. It is not in our feelings. It is not in our demeanor. It is not in our appearance. It is not in our education. It is not in our upbringing. It is not in our gifts and skills. The power of God is in the salvation, is in the gospel. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But how shall they believe unless they And how shall they hear unless someone preaches? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? So here, this is what we see about the person who shares the gospel. I hope this gives you hope. I hope this gives you some courage. Now, let's go to the resources for sharing the gospel. Looking there in verses 10 through 12, he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Here is the first. The grace of God is the resource for receiving, for sharing the gospel. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Sounds like bragging to me. But he says, not yet. Not yet, not I, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. First of all, the grace of God. Well, what is the grace of God? Well, let's contrast it or compare it with the justice of God and the mercy of God. The justice of God is to give us what we deserve. Do you realize that if you got this morning what you deserved, do you realize where you would be right now? Brother David, where would you be right now? What does that mean? You would be in hell. You would be farther down than six feet under. Because the scripture says, the soul that sinneth shall, say it, die. That's where we'd be. That's the justice of God. Then the mercy of God is to withhold from us what we deserve. That is pure mercy. Have you ever had that happen to you? That some, you deserve something, and someone just... They say, That's, I just forgive you. That's all right. Mercy. And the relief that you felt. <laughs> Here's an example of mercy. One time, Sandy Leindecker, one of the board members and I, were traveling back from somewhere, and I had, <clears throat> we, uh, someone had sent their video camera along with us. Very nice camera, to take some videos of the workers. And, and on the way back... I said, Sandy, you just wear this thing. Sometimes I forget things. So he did. He carried it around his neck and at each airport. He said, now why don't you take it? I said, Sandy, you just take it. But there came a time, maybe it was Dulles or something, we had to part ways, and he said, okay, Alan, you've got to take it now. Okay, so I took it, and we had a flight delay. I had to call. But to get into my book, to get the phone number, I had to do What? I had to take the video camera off and lay it on the little shelf there by the telephone. So, I made the call. I think, you know, get this all sorted out. Now, I, I probably should go to the bathroom next, so I went. When I'm in the bathroom, I <gasps> The video camera! Where is that thing? Where did I leave it? Oh, no! It's not mine. It'd be bad enough if it was mine, but it's somebody else's. Oh, the telephone. I went running out of the bathroom as hard as I could go to the public phone there. That's back when we still had more uh, pay phones. And I thought, is it there or isn't it there? When I got there, it was still sitting right on that little shelf. I just felt this great sense of relief, and it came to my mind, Mercy, I don't deserve this. Have you felt that sense of relief sometimes when things have happened to you? So justice and mercy. Justice gives us what we do deserve. Mercy withholds from us what we deserve. But grace gives us what we don't deserve. We really don't deserve to be here this morning. We don't deserve to be children of God. We don't deserve to have the Bible in our hands. We don't deserve to experience the forgiveness of our sins. We don't deserve so many things. Sometimes people ask me, how are you doing today? I say, I'm blessed beyond deserving. I really don't deserve all of this goodness from God. So Paul said that we have a resource here for sharing the gospel, and it is the grace of God. He said, it was the grace of God in me that empowered me to become what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Are you a self-made man, a self-made woman? I feel bad for you. You are so much less than you could be. By the grace of God, you could be much more than what you are. And that's what happened to Paul. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now you say that, oh, that just means you're going to sit back on easy street and take it easy and just rest in God and do nothing about it. No, he says, the grace of God empowered me to labor. Labor is work to the point of exhaustion. You are tired out. He says, the grace of God empowered me and motivated me to work, to work those works that were laid out for me from before the foundation of the world. Brothers and sisters, young people, there is nothing better than to be laboring hard at the work that God has designed for you from before the day you were born, (laughs) And that's the kind of work you say, I could do this for another thousand years and still feel great fulfillment in it. Labor through the grace of God. And then he said, it's the grace of God then to preach Christ that he has been raised from the dead. But in this chapter, there are two other resources that I'd like to just mention briefly. In addition to the grace of God, turn to verse 57 as Paul concludes his discussion on the resurrection, which is a key component within the gospel story. Verse 57, he says, "'But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.'" The victory of Christ is ours as a gift. He gives, not he gave, it's present tense. It's continuous, it's ongoing, over and over, the victory of Christ.'" In his second letter, he says, he leads us in the victory procession in Christ. Always leading, being led about in the victory procession of Christ. It is available to us as a gift through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can never experience the victory that is yours by birthright in Christ unless you surrender to him as Lord. And the thing we fight against, surrender to him, is the thing we most need. And then we enjoy the most. Full surrender to Christ does not make you less as a person. It makes you more as a person. To be all you were designed to be and all he will empower you to be. That's the victory of Christ available to us. And then the third thing as a resource for sharing the gospel is found in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Here we have knowledge, and the knowledge is our work is not in vain. When it is work that is in the Lord. Work in the Lord means that it is his work. It is for him. It is prompted by him. It is directed by him. It is empowered by him to glorify him. And at the same time, we rest in him. We take on his yoke, his easy yoke. Our labor is not in vain in the Lord when we appropriate his grace, Paul says, his grace in me was not in vain. So then we labor and it is not in vain. We know this even though we can't always tell it by looking at it. And many times in God's work, you don't see fruit, especially some from your church who are working in the hard places of the world. And these questions come over and over. Is it worth it? Does it make a difference? But here we have his sure promise that labor in the Lord is not in vain. That is a wonderful, wonderful resource. So as we conclude this point, the resources for sharing the gospel, the grace of God, the victory of Christ, the knowledge that our labor is significant and worthwhile. Are you appropriating... His grace, Monday, Saturday, Wednesday, every day, to be what he intends you to be. Do you dare to ask him, Lord, make me by your grace all or whatever you want me to be. Whatever, wherever, whenever, however, all for you. William Borden I believe it was, who died a young uh, death as a missionary in the Middle East. In his notes, uh, no reserves, no retreat, no regrets. And those three phrases were written in different seasons of his young life. And the last one they found in his journal that was written, no regrets. Don't you want to come to the end of your life like that? No reserves. No regrets. No retreats. By the grace of God, brothers and sisters, I with you, I'm sure you want to as well, be all that he wants us to be. And as we appropriate his grace, his grace then will empower us to work and will empower us to work hard. And in that work will be included sharing the gospel. Now let's turn to your handout. <clears throat> and let's just take a look down through here. And the first one I have there for you is to pray. When you don't know what to do, and when you do know what to do, and you don't know, have, have the strength to do it, we pray. And here are some things to pray for as gospel witnesses. First, pray for opportunities to talk with people and to serve people. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given to you. Would you like him to give you an opportunity this week to share the gospel? Well, then ask him. If you were God and your son or daughter would ask you for an opportunity to share the gospel, what would you do? If I were God, I'd give him a dozen of them so he'd at least catch on to one and maybe dare to do two in a week. Ask. Pray for people by name pray for people by name, and I discovered when we began to pray for our neighbors by name, we bumped into them more often. Maybe it's the reticular activating device. You know what that is? When you buy a green Ford Focus station wagon, you notice all the green Ford Focus station wagons, all right? But maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's like Corey Ten Boom. When she talked about getting answers to prayer, someone said to her, oh, that's just coincidence. This was her answer. Well, this is what I've noticed. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't pray, coincidences don't happen. So I'm going to keep praying. <laughs> all right, and then pray for needs that you can observe and hear. As you listen to people, as you watch people, observe people, very soon you will discover needs because we're all just a bunch of very needy people, some covered over better than others. But we're all needy. Pray, and God will help you see those needs. One of the things that we have done, very practical, I found a little, a little box, uh, just the right size to put three by five cards in, and missionary prayer cards. And we have them on our table or right close by. And when we're going to pray and give thanks for our food, we pull out one card with a neighbor's name on it and one card with a missionary's name on it. And we ask God's blessing upon them while we pray for our food, stick them back in the box in the back, and we just keep working our way. And I've discovered I care more about my neighbors when I pray for them. Pray for neighbors. And then this 731. Develop a list of seven unchurched people and pray for one each day. So I would say... For sure, not someone that's a long ways away from you, but somebody that's around here. Pray for them by name. I have, I have uh, Mohammed and Sweli for Sunday. And I have Junior and Anna for Tuesday. And uh, For Monday, sorry. For Tuesday, I have friendly English-speaking Bengali man that wants to talk about the gospel. I don't know what his name is yet. Still looking for him. <clears throat> it might be Udin that I'm befriending, but I'm not sure yet, because he stood me up a time or two. All right, so, but maybe. So I get through my week, and then I start over again. So have a list of seven, and then you can't have deep friendships with all seven of them because we have busy lives and we have responsibility, but try to befriend three. Try to befriend three of them. And then plan a weekly activity with at least, how many? One. them. Now, I'd like you to think back. Hopefully your short-term memory is working all right this morning. Think back on your your, uh, planner from this past week or your journal or your diary or whatever it is. Does the name of any unchurched neighbor, friend, or relative appear there in which you planned to try to do something with them? Now, see, one reason why we don't win more people to Christ is just like because we have the salt in the bags. If you keep the salt in the bag, it won't melt the ice on the sidewalk because there's no contact there. So that's a no-brainer. If we're going to win people to Christ, we have to interact with them. And they're not going to come asking us for it. Sometimes they don't feel that they're good enough. Can you believe that, that they look at us and feel like they're not good enough? If they just knew what we're like then they would probably feel like they're good enough. In fact, some of them say that, think they are better. They said, a bunch of hypocrites there. I had that just yesterday. Oh, I'm sorry, cousin. <clears throat> Am I one of those? Oh, no, 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 not you. I didn't mean you. Oh, well, good, wonderful. If you ever do mean me, please tell me so that we can take care of that. All right, and then the next one. <clears throat> Ask people to pray for you, to see opportunities and to share And that's because many times our eyes are not open to see people who need the gospel. We're thinking about who? Number one. Have you ever wondered, I wonder what people are thinking about me? Just put you at ease. They're not. (laughs) Just like you, they're thinking about themselves. Rest easy, you're okay. Most times. All right. So ask people to pray for you to see opportunities to serve and to share. Jesus said, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore that the Lord will send more money into his harvest, more laborers. And one other time he says, Lift up your eyes and see, the fields are hardened. And no, he said, The fields are white and ready for harvest. And when they looked up, what did they see? They saw the Samaritan woman bringing all her townspeople out to meet this man who told me everything I knew. What's the problem? It's not with the field. It's not with the harvest. It's with the harvester's eyes. We don't see these things. Brothers and sisters, ask your fellow brother and sister Christian to pray for you. That this week, God will give you some opportunities and that you'll be able to see them and that you'll want them because after all, they usually don't come on the list of to-dos at the right time. We think, how am I going to get all my stuff done? Well, maybe we put some stuff on there that the Lord didn't put on there. Or maybe he can help us become more efficient than what we knew. Maybe the people that we're going to share the gospel with will actually one day help us with our stuff. Who knows? So ask people to pray for you. Number two, This comes from Matthew 5 where Jesus says, Do you only greet those who greet you? What are you doing more than others? Even the sinners greet people that greet them. So, I made it easy for you by making it rhyme. If you are shy, try saying, say it, hi. A smile helps too, all right? So if you are shy, try saying hi. You know, Jesus was a friendly man. In fact, they accused him of being the blank of blank. Say it friend of sinners. I think he took it as a compliment. We should be friendly people. We should take the initiative. A simple high. Isn't it a beautiful day? can make a difference. <clears throat> and then uh, try to plan a weekly friendship activity with someone. Number three, find a need and fill it. Meet it. Tacitus was an, a, a Jewish, no, a Roman historian. Pagan, no friend of Christians. Long, 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 long time ago, about 1,900 years ago, he wrote something like this. Those Christians, they go through all our towns and villages looking for the lonely, the elderly, the sick, and the dying. Not only do they take care of their own, but they take care of ours as well. Wouldn't that be great? If Calvary would have the reputation, and maybe it does already, of going all about all the streets and alleys and back roads and runs and hollers (coughs) around here, looking to see if there's anybody who's lonely or abandoned or neglected or discouraged or depressed or hungry. (coughs) Find a need and fill it. Jesus was so good as a servant, always looking for ways to serve people. Number four, ask. Ask what? Ask a question. When Philip saw the Ethiopian riding in the chariot, he noticed the man was reading. So Philip heard the spirit prompting him, go close to that man. So he took the initiative and went close. What was the first thing out of Philip's mouth? Pardon? I still didn't hear. Do you understand what you're reading? Why did he ask that? Because he was reading. What are you reading? Is it good? Do you understand it? And he was reading from Isaiah. Wasn't that a coincidence? (laughs) Wonderful coincidence. (laughs) It was a serendipity, an unexpected, wonderful thing happening to him. Ask a question. I have a handout, which I didn't hand out. But if you want it, you email me and I'll send it to you. And front and back, two columns, My collection of questions from hither and yon. From books and from people and uh, how to talk to people. If If you ask people questions, they'll talk to you. Sometimes longer than you want, but that's okay. They're talking to you about what they think is important. Not only ask questions, but ask for help. When Jesus sat down at the well, this lady came up and what did he ask her? Could you give me a drink? And then you have that marvelous story so full and rich with insights for personal witnessing. It all started with a request for help. Instead of calling up your deacon to help, you might want to ask your unsaved neighbor to help you get your car started or whatever. And uh, so ask for help. And then five, tell a story. It says in Matthew 13 that without a parable or without a story, Jesus did not teach them anything. So tell a story. And one great way is to take his stories and tell them with an evangelistic ending. It's so great. It's so, it's, it is fun. And people love stories. That's why television and videos and DVDs and novels and all of this stuff is uh, so, so popular. Because people love stories. They might not like somebody preaching at them, but they'll like a story. So you tell them a story. I have a collection of those, and if you want them, just send them to me. But you tell the story, and then you ask them, the person that told this was Jesus. What do you think this story means? And let them tell you. And then when they give you their ideas, if it's really bad, really far out, you just say, that's very interesting. I never thought of that before. That's interesting. Can I tell you what I think? And they'll say, sure. And then you tell what you think Jesus meant by that. And then you ask them the question where they are in the story. Like, for example, the story of the, <clears throat> the Pearl of Great Price. Remember that story? And after you ask what their meaning, the meaning is, as they understand, you say, well, I think Jesus meant that finding the kingdom of God is more valuable than the most precious gem. Let me ask you a question. Have you found the kingdom of God in a way that brings such joy and for which you're willing to sacrifice anything, or are you still looking? Where are you on your spiritual journey right now? And it's amazing how people will tell you It's amazing and it's fascinating. No wonder Jesus, everywhere he went, he told stories. He was a master storyteller. And here's one thing I I can assure you. When you tell his stories, his spirit will be present there to help you in creative ways that will bring great joy to your own heart and new understanding about the story. Because he told those stories often in settings That we're a mixed audience of believers and unbelievers. Tell his story. I could tell you stories about telling his story, but my the clock is working against us here. And then another one there where it says the word story, but there's a blank in front of it, put the word my. Tell my story. And in Acts 26, Paul did exactly that on trial. And he told him about what he was before he met Christ, and then how he met Christ. Then he told them the change that God made in his life after he met Christ. And then he referred to the scriptures and then he gave an invitation. And it was so powerful, the king himself said, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. And Paul said, oh, he said, I wish you and everybody in here would be just like me. And then I think he moved his wrists and he said, except for these chains, of course. He told his story. Tell your story. Write out your story, practice with other believers. And then you can just tell someone, you know there's a story, something that happened to me that really impacted the direction of my life. Do you mind if I tell you my story just in a few moments here? And often, if not nearly always, they will give you the opportunity to tell a story. It's a great way to prepare the way for telling his story, which then we looked at in number six. Number seven, <clears throat> experiment with other approaches. I've shared with you this morning just a few, but there are more. And if you want more, just email me and I'll send them to you. Number eight, start small, keep going, don't quit, include others. In other words, take them along with you and say, you don't have to do anything. Just smile at the right time, but pray for me that I won't chicken out (laughs) and pray that we'll find somebody with whom to share the story. Take them along with you. And then do it regularly as a lifestyle. Now, you may be having in the back of your mind this horrible thought. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? Did that ever worry you? Oh, it didn't? Sorry to have mentioned it. Now it might. But that was one of my fears. I may have told this story to you here already in years past. And uh, if, if you recognize it, you can just sort of glaze out look holy, but think something else. But here it goes like this. This is how the Lord taught me this one. This was in Mechanicsburg, Ohio. And my missions teacher took me with him uh, door-to-door witnessing Richard Showalter. He was so good because he was so good. And I really enjoyed being with him and listening to the way he would answer people. It was an amazing gift until one day he said these words, Alan, you will lead out at the next house. I saw the next house, I can still see it. White, wood, two-story house. I went to the door and it was coming, all that came to me was, what if they ask me a hard question that I can't answer? I pushed the doorbell like this so you can all see, hoping that, what do you think I was hoping? We're all cut out of the same clay. But unfortunately, they were home. God in his mercy had them invite us in. Often, North American whites don't invite you in. Unless, maybe, they do in Virginia, I'm not sure. So I try to get started and I try to share the gospel. And wouldn't you know, they did it. They asked me a hard question. My mind went totally blank. I could feel the color and the heat rising. I'm just paralyzed. I can't think of a thing except, oh God, help me. I don't know what to do. In that moment, it came. I said, That was a wonderful question, and my friend Richard would love to answer it for you. <laughs> and he did. And I can't remember the question, and I can't remember his answer, but you know what I remember? My answer so this is what you do. Somebody asks you a hard question, and you, see, you just smile. You're so relaxed. You say, that is a wonderful question. I'm so glad you asked it. You know, I'm just not 100% sure right now. I'll tell you what, though. Give me a week or two and your email address and your phone number. I'll find the answer, and I'll get back with you. You say, well, that doesn't help very much. That just puts off the pain. Well, then you go to that last book there on the additional resources, Answers to Tough Questions Skeptics Ask. Or you can go online. You have Google now that you can do so much uh, with. uh, STR, Stand to Reason, is a good resource as well to answer many questions. So brothers and sisters, it's been great to be with you. Remember, missions without witnessing is not missions. It's just doing good work. And remember, the gospel isn't being shared unless you... Because you are not good enough that they'll get saved by looking at you. Sorry, that's the bad news that gets you to the good news. Remember, there was only one that was good enough. People still couldn't get saved by just watching him. He preached. He announced the good news. Do it. He says, if you'll follow him, he'll train you, and he'll do it through you. And his will be the glory And yours will be the joy, and your grasp of the gospel will be the greater. And let's bow our heads to pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that by the grace of God, we are what we are. Oh, God, empower us to labor abundantly in serving in Jesus' name and sharing the gospel of Jesus nearby, far away, as much as we can, as clearly, as simply, as graciously, as courageously and creatively as we can. Father, I pray that you would be with this uh, sister congregation, a church that means a lot to us, and I pray that you would be with them in whatever season of life they are as a church, and you'll empower them and encourage them and fill them with hope. And faith and love and endurance. Give them wisdom. Mm-hmm. Give them <clears throat> all of the riches that are theirs already in Christ. May they appropriate them through believing, faith, and prayer, persevering in the gospel. But Lord, I pray that you will make them, and Carolyn and me, and my daughter and her family who are here this morning, make us eager. To share the gospel, confident in the gospel, announcing it all that we can, because then some will be saved. Help us to appropriate the resources that are ours, the grace of God, the victory of Christ purchased for us on the cross, and then the knowledge that this is not in vain, Thank you so much, Father, for calling us to be your own dear children and for anyone here this morning who feels like they're standing on the outside looking in and they have not yet been been grasped by the wonder of the gospel. Would you speak right now to him or her and let them know that you want them? That if they surrender to you, You'll watch over them. You'll take better care of them than what they can do of themselves. And by your grace, they'll become what you always from before the beginning of the world designed them to become. I pray for them in this moment. Open their eyes to see. Place within them faith to believe. Conquer our stubborn wills to surrender. And in doing that, find joy and forgiveness and hope and peace and purpose and eternal life. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we pray and agree together by saying, amen.